Flashing sharp, pointed, and insightful. This is Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. We just brought a new uh, White House counsel today who just started, who's going to be fabulous. The president announced his pick for attorney general, who will be quite good as well. And uh, right now in the White House, we have a lot of good people who are just working along, and the president will make the right choice for chief of staff when he's ready. If you hire an attorney, you're hiring an attorney to make sure it's done legally in the process. So, And if you're going to try to impeach a president over a campaign finance problem, campaign finance problems are usually fines, which a number of members have. Uh, I wonder how they felt about whether they should stay in their job. If the document that the judge was given was paid for by a political party and the opposing candidate, and it was never verified, and it's not verified to this day, what happens to those who submit the document to the court? If they're not punished, you're going to reinforce doing this in the future. When politics weren't involved and national security and border security were on their minds, they did the right thing, and we hope they'll do the right thing here. The Democrats have a central question in front of them, Bill. Do they want to keep the government open or do they want to keep the borders open? And now, Stacey Washington. Welcome to the program. Thank you so much for being here. We have Cassie Smaddle, who is the RNC national spokesperson. She's going to come on and give us the insider scoop on the big throwdown at the White House today between Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer, and the president. And I, I don't mind telling you, it seemed like one of those days where there would be uh, fireworks. And uh, it sounds like it didn't disappoint. And it's not that I'm looking for them to have these big fights or arguments or anything, but clearly the Democrats have abandoned their previous position that they recently held. It's not like the dark ages or in the 50s or 60s or something like that. We're talking about recently, recent history that they not only voted to support a border wall, funding it, getting it completed, they voted to support increased uh, money and and support to our officers down there who are patrolling the border. Honestly, their position was identical to that of the Republicans. So what's changed? Oh, that's right. Somebody figured out that if you allow illegal immigrants to continue to pour into the country, you can radically change the makeup of a nation. And so instead of having Bible-thumping, gun-toting Republicans who happen to be white, You have a bunch of people from third world countries who will be willing to vote in any socialist policy you want. And there you have it. So let's listen to Newt Gingrich now. He's talking about blowing the whistle on Mueller. He calls Mueller's investigation the Trump Destruction Project. It's number one. Sure. I mean, look, you have to understand Mueller's not involved in a investigation. Miller has a Trump destruction project. Uh, he brought on a team, all of them dedicated to destroying Trump. They've done everything they could to destroy Trump. And part of that technique, uh, which, uh, frankly, uh, Sidney Powell described brilliantly in her book, License to Lie About the Justice Department, uh, part of that technique is you throw the kitchen sink. Uh, you basically threaten somebody and say, I'm going to bankrupt you. I'm going to put your son in jail. I'm going to charge you with so many different crimes, you'll never get out from under it. Uh, now, would you like to talk? And when you have the full power of the federal government against you, it's pretty tough not to try to find a way uh, to get them off your back. But it has nothing to do with the truth. It has nothing to do with justice. And, and, and Mueller, I, I think, in a really sad historian someday will comment that this was one of the most extraordinary efforts to undo the will of the American people 
by an established bureaucracy and its establishment friends that we've seen in all of American history. And but will historians see it that way? And that my question, I, I, honestly, I'm not I'm not being facetious at all. Will historians see it that way? Or will historians with a leftist ideology, a leftist ideological viewpoint, people who've spent their entire adult lives in echo chambers with nothing but liberals, they don't know a conservative, they don't know a Republican, they don't even know a Christian, or will they say these people are heroes because they were doing the work that only they could do because they had to get rid of Donald Trump? They had to get him out of office. They couldn't allow him to serve a full term. They couldn't allow him to be reelected which I do believe is a distinct possibility that the president gets reelected. If you look around at places that are further along the socialist spectrum, that, that they said yes to socialism and, you know, thank you, may I have another, look at Paris, France. You've got Macron actually begging for his people to give him another chance to set things right. He has bought so deeply into the climate change agenda that he's willing to literally run hardworking French people into the poorhouse, also he can sit around at these big fancy events with other world leaders and have them pat him on the back and say, I'm, I'm doing a lot in my country for climate change. My citizens pay an extraordinarily high level of tax if they want to use fossil fuels, even though there aren't any other options for them. They need to get where they're going. They already own cars that run on fossil fuels, and he wants to tax them into oblivion. And he's surprised that they're burning things to the ground. Now, the natural next thought is, well, Democrats here in this country will see that following along with the climate agenda, the the people who worship the climate as their God, following along with that will lead us to a place where Americans are rioting in the streets and Americans are, you know, literally throwing people physically out of their their offices to try to, to get rid of them because they're voting in these taxes. But the Democrats aren't learning anything from this. They are not looking across the, the, the ocean and saying, well, it doesn't look like it's working out for Macron. They're saying, oh, he's just not doing it right. He's, he just doesn't know how to do it. So, yeah, historians obviously could say um, that this was the Trump destruction project and it had nothing to do with Russian collusion. But if you look at the... Uh, the, the headlines and check out the newspapers and what everyone is actually just writing about this. Trump might do jail time after he leaves office. For what? For what would he be doing jail time? What would he be convicted of exactly? I'm still waiting on the other shoe to drop with the collusion. Remember, that's the reason why he's investigating. Mueller is doing an investigation because he, President Trump, then candidate Trump, supposedly colluded with the Russians to materially impact the election. We've still not seen any of that. It's still wire fraud, bank fraud, you know, yada, yada, yada. But nothing having to do with collusion. And it is not illegal for the president to continue to work on uh, building a construction project in Moscow while he's running for the presidency. It might not be what other people would do. I'm wondering how he had the time to manage it. But again, he doesn't drink alcohol. He only sleeps four or five hours a night and he doesn't smoke. Apparently, he has boundless energy and he only eats fast food. I don't understand that. I don't understand how he lives like that. If I only ate fast food, I would barely be able to lift myself up out of the bed every day. But I'm not him. He's not me. I don't have to understand it for it to be true. 
it's really irrelevant what he eats, how much he sleeps, whether or not he drinks alcohol. What is relevant is at the time, was it okay for him lawful? I shouldn't say okay. Was it lawful for the president to arrange to build or continue arrangements to build a Trump Tower Moscow, which would involve him dealing with some government types? And, you know, obviously in, in uh, Russia, you have to grease palms. You know, you have to you have to bribe folks. They, they don't have a functioning government like we do where people do their job for their salary and that's it. They don't expect to be uh, bribed. They're a, having a bribe accompany your construction project request or your building permit request does not, you, you, the, no bribe is needed. Not here in this country. You don't have to do that. You don't have to take anybody out to lunch or promise that your third born child will marry somebody else's, you know, first born child. You just put in your building permit application and you go on about your business and you wait. And, and as long as you've done everything according to the form, it gets approved and you move on. That's the way we operate here. But in Russia, the Ukraine, I mean, read the books about what the adoption process is like in Russia and the Ukraine and other Eastern Bloc nations. You have to bribe folks just to get them to put a stamp that shows that you actually visited their office and put in your application. So the idea that he wouldn't have had to talk to government officials or interact with them in any way in order to get a building project started is just ludicrous. And it is not illegal to build buildings in foreign countries. It just isn't. I guess it's only illegal if the person doing the building is last name Trump. So Gingrich goes on to make this point about the media coverage and how well President Trump is doing in spite of it. It's number two. Donald Trump, after 92% negative coverage for two years, 92% negative coverage for two years, is somewhere between 44 and 48 percent approval, depending on the poll. Ronald Reagan, about this point in, 19, in 2000 or in 1983, was at 35 uh, percent. The fact is that Macron, the wonder boy of France, is now down at 25 or 26 percent and just had the worst riots in Paris in 50 years. Uh, they operated on a premise. And of course, they all thought Hillary was going to win. So they never thought this would come to light. They thought they were helping the winner. And I think it was an enormous shock election night to suddenly start, for Comey in particular, to suddenly start realizing that his neck was on the line. He'd been breaking the law. But he always thought he'd be protected. Everybody near the Clintons have been protected. And that's what's been happening. Um, everyone near the Clintons has not only been protected, but they all work together as a, like a single entity with a hive mind. Everything is done to protect the Clintons, but it's also done in an effort to enlarge themselves, enriching themselves. Going into uh, a, it's, it's a kind of, it's like going into a club and joining that club and everyone in the club works for the benefit of everyone else in the club, but specifically the person who founded it. And that's, you know, the Clinton couple. And so they're all, no matter what they say on their outside face, you know, Comey, I'm a Republican, Mueller, I'm a Republican. When you look at their actions, they're actually a part of Clinton Inc. They do the bidding of the Clintons. Their work is aimed towards the Clintons. The, 
what benefits them, what protects them, what keeps them out of harm's way. So that has nothing to do with being a Republican. And the first thing we could do if we're going to be accurate and not have, you know, drifting terminology is to just say it doesn't really matter what your political affiliation is that you that you claim. Your actions are, are much more important. And if you're operating on behalf of the Clintons, then clearly you're not a Republican. And why is that important? Well, because people use that blanket endorsement. Well, Mueller is a Republican. That's meant to soften your criticism and blunt the, uh, the effects of your disdain for his actions by getting you in, into a place where you can't seem to reconcile what he's doing with what he has purported to say about his political affiliation. I, let's, let's, let's remind ourselves really quickly it doesn't matter what his politics are. He could be politically agnostic. He's a career service appointee. So that means politics has zero to do with the functioning uh, and execution of his job. He's, good, he's supposed to do his job no matter what his politics are. If you look at it from that lens, you can see that there's a terrible travesty going on here. Hillary Clinton is continuing to be protected. She's not been prosecuted. She's going to get off scot-free for doing things that other people have gone to jail for. And we're going to continue to see what, what is just ridiculous. These, um, it's this investigation, obviously, but it's also the investigation of people around President Trump. They're, they're being prosecuted not because of wrongdoing. They're finding wrongdoing. So I'm not, I'm not excusing the wrongdoing. But they're not being prosecuted because they knew there was wrongdoing there. They're being prosecuted because they're close to the president. And that should be just like totally unacceptable to us. So when we, we get back from the break, we're going to be talking to Cassie Smettle, National Press Secretary and Spokesperson for the RNC, Republican National Committee. She's going to be coming on to talk to us about President Trump saying uh, to Nancy Pelosi, I'm proud to shut down the government for border security. And remember, the, the government shutdown would encompass just a, a couple of agencies. 87% of the government would continue to function without any blip at all. Uh, so this is really over funding over the border wall. And I don't think the CRs that they're suggesting are, have any merit. We, we need to move forward with funding the wall. So stay right there. We'll be back with more. Here's American Family Association President Tim Wildman. Lynn Ingram and Jim Duncan, two Texans, support and believe in our ministry here at AFA and AFR. We know more about the laundry business than anything else. We know a little bit about a lot of things, but we know a lot about the laundry and dry cleaning business. They created a laundry detergent to sell to folks to support AFA. We just want to be able to provide a product that can be used by AFA to support the ministry. When you wash your family's clothes with Redeem Clean Laundry Detergent, you can take great satisfaction in knowing that you're supporting the vital work of the American Family Association. It's a unique way to increase your giving to AFA. For clean laundry and support of a cleaner society, it's Redeem Clean. Learn more about the Redeem Clean products when you visit redeemclean.afastore.net. 
This is Viewpoints with Kirby Anderson. With all the claims and counterclaims about global warming, it is often hard to figure out what to believe. One thing I do know is that two of the loudest claims about a climate catastrophe on the horizon are based on erroneous assumptions. When I was in graduate school working on computer models, I learned that the assumptions about the data often determine the effectiveness of the models to predict future environmental events. The British scientific journal Nature published a study more than a month ago that warned that ocean temperatures rose 60% higher than estimated by the UN IPCC. The study was given wide exposure in the media. However, another researcher identified some errors in methodology, which the original researchers have admitted was the case. Unfortunately, you won't see any follow-up media reports about them overestimating the amount of ocean warming. A few weeks ago, the federal government issued its latest National Climate Assessment Report. The study calculates the huge cost due to the fact that the world will be 15 degrees Fahrenheit warmer by 2100. This assessment is even higher than the worst-case scenario predicted by the UN IPCC, which has been known to occasionally make some outlandish predictions as well. The writers of the report assume a massive increase in coal consumption and completely ignore the dramatic increase in natural gas production. If you take a more realistic view of conventional fuel use, the doomsday scenario vanishes. And it's worth mentioning that the sole editor of the report is an alumnus of the Center for American Progress, funded by climate activist and philanthropist Tom Steyer. It is often hard to know what to believe, especially when two of the most publicized climate studies have major errors within them. I'm Kirby Anderson, and that's my point of view. Take Kirby and the Point of View team with you on the go with the Point of View app. Search for Point of View Radio at the Apple or Google Play stores. Welcome back to Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Welcome back to the program. Thank you for being here today. Uh, we really appreciate you listening to American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Go to AFR.net and UrbanFamilyTalk.com and check out our content over there. And check us out on Facebook as well. Right now, it's my pleasure to welcome frequent guests of the program and one of our favorite experts, national spokesperson for the Republican National Committee. It's Cassie Smettle. Thank you for joining us. Hi, it's actually Kaylee McEnany calling in today, her colleague. Okay, you know what? Another favorite, Kaylee. (laughs) So Good to join you. It's good to talk to you. Um, I'm not sure why I have Cassie up here, but I'm I'm excited to speak with you, Kaylee. And let's let's first just the title of today's show was fight, you know, President Trump and Schumer and Pelosi and the wall. And I, I was expecting nothing less than for them to be a little contentious with each other. What happened? Well, President Trump was fighting for the interests of the American people, which is to secure our southern border. Uh, I just uh, was reading some statistics from the Department of Homeland Security, and they said that on average, uh, 10 terrorists attempt to cross our border a day. And I had to read that two or three times just to ensure that I was reading it correctly. And I was, and that is uh, from a DHS official who sent that out. Uh, So there are dire straits on our southern border, not to mention the 17,000 criminals who were apprehended trying to cross our southern border. It's important uh, to have a wall. It's important to have a barrier to protect us. Uh, And today, Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer once again exhibited they have zero interest in working on behalf of the American people.
people in every interest uh, and obstructing over the next two years and not getting anything done. So it, it was a bit contentious, uh, but President Trump was a fighter. Uh, that's the right word to use. He fought for the American people today. So I saw some statistics, too, um, and, and I think a lot of different news organizations, especially at the news bites at the top of the hour and, and different places like CNSnews.com, you, all, all over the place online, people are sharing these salient points to kind of bring people back down to reality, which is we have a very dangerous situation at our southern border, and the president has done the best that he can with the military deployment, and also they've been putting up concertina wire and makeshift barriers. They've been strengthening and remodeling some of the the wall down there, some sections of fencing, and that has been very effective. In fact, the president said last week in Kansas City that wherever they've they've put wall up and shored things up, it's been utterly effective. So how can we get across to the American people, what we see as the truth here, Kaylee, the Democrats have completely flip-flopped on border security. They used to support these common sense measures. That's right. They used to support border security and the structure on our southern border, uh, but now they've decided to go hard left. They have to cater to that far left base that they are all trying to win to become their party's nominee, uh, and they ignore the facts. A border wall works. As you noted, the president also pointed out uh, that where we've had this fencing and this walling uh, does work in San Diego, for instance, where we've had uh, structure since 1992, we've seen a 92% drop in illegal traffic all across uh, where the wall has been placed. It has worked. Uh, the same in Yuma, 95% decrease over nine years. So when you have a southern barrier, it does effectively thwart illegal immigration. Uh, and it's important for us to expose Democrats how far they've come. Uh, they've come so far to the point where now you have Nancy Pelosi saying that she had come up with the measure to cure our problems on the southern border, and that was mowing the grass to stop smugglers. She literally said that verbatim. It's an incredible place that they've arrived at, and it's a place that's out of step with the broader American public that wants border security, as polling tells us. I just wonder if she'd have that same attitude if her mansion in um, California was overrun with gypsies or homeless people or what you know whatever i'm i'm i have no i don't care what kind of people it is that it's the point is people who don't live with her people who aren't authorized to live in her home if her home was overrun by these types of individuals would she be okay with it and and anybody who wants to can just google nancy pelosi's home and it's a palatial mansion it's an estate gorgeous home I've got nothing against it. I believe you should buy whatever you want with your own money, do whatever you want to do. I, I applaud success, and I think it's wonderful when people make money and they earn it and they're able to buy things that they want with it. But this does not look like a home that's in a neighborhood where there would be a lot of illegal immigrants present. No, I, and I'm sure it's, it's not the case. And as you noted, just the breathtaking hypocrisy, you know, they say they don't want border security, that a wall is is somehow racist and xenophobic, as they've said. Uh, but nevertheless, you have Nancy Pelosi, who has a lock on her door, and I assume she locks it at night so she secures herself. Uh, while neglecting the safety of the American people and the same individuals who want to ab abolish the Second Amendment. Uh, several of them, certainly in Hollywood, are protected by armed guards. And, and then, of course, Chuck Schumer today, who goes out and says, uh, how dare the president threaten to shut down the government over his policy priority, uh, when, in fact, Chuck Schumer 
11 months ago, shut down the government during the Schumer shutdown uh, and put at bay and, and, and on hold the funding for low-income American children. Uh, and he put that on hold and shut down the government to protect DACA recipients. So there's a lot of breathtaking hypocrisy here on any number of issues. And we saw a lot of it on full display today in the Oval Office. <laughs> I love how you... I love how you have all the all the stats on the Schumer shutdown because you know what, Kaylee, we forgot. Okay, so the American people, including myself, (laughs) we forget when these things happen. Like it happens, and at the time, it's huge news, and then you move on. And we need you (laughs) to remind us because now that right there is some you call it glaring hypocrisy, and I think you're being kind. That's the kind of hypocrisy that hits you in the face, and you won't wake up for a few days because you've been bowled over. That is some pretty stunning information. If you look at the quote from uh, from Schumer, he says today, well, you've mentioned this 20 times. So you want the shutdown. This is what he said to the president earlier today. Meanwhile, he did have now that you've said it, of course, now I can remember it was the Schumer shutdown and it was a big deal. That's right. And it's easy to forget because the news cycle is so quick. But Schumer literally went on basically a sermon today against shutdowns. I mean, it wasn't just one time. He kept doubling back to the point of it can't be my way or the highway or we shut down the government. Shutting down the government's irresponsible. He made a good uh, 10 sentences of, of anti-shutdown quotations for us to have. Uh, all the while completely neglecting his own shutdown. I mean, it's really, really incredible. So now all of a sudden a shutdown is a horrific thing to do when, in fact, this shutdown should have happened. It only shuts down 30 percent of the government. Seventy percent is already funded, uh, including our military. When Schumer actually shut the government down, it was a 100 percent government shutdown affecting our troops, affecting every single uh, crevice of government. So quite a difference, uh, but but the, the facts are lost upon Schumer, perhaps, intentionally so uh, as he engages in all of this hypocrisy. Mm, okay. So, and, and, and that is another point I tried to make earlier uh, here on the program talking about the fact that in this particular shutdown, 87% of the government, and this is, this is not a done deal. We don't know that it's going to be shut down, but if it were to be shut down this particular time, we're talking about about 87% of the government that's completely unaffected by this, that would go on untouched, nothing, no, no changes. Nobody would be furloughed or stay home or anything. And so that leaves a very small sliver, which is just a few agencies that are impacted by this. And I, I, not to diminish the importance of a shutdown, but this is a different scenario, is it not? It is a completely different scenario, no doubt about it, uh, for all the reasons uh, you just noted. And also, it's a different scenario because now we're talking about border security, which has become an imminent critical issue when you look at the caravan that came barreling toward our border, throwing rocks at Border Patrol agents. So when you consider the fact that this year alone, there are the upwards of 160,000 individuals uh, being detained who are illegal immigrants with criminal records uh, in a removal order, you know, it's an imminent situation that we need to rectify. And this is really our last chance uh, unless, you know, the next two years beyond uh, 2020 or the next four years that the president will have, unless we we Republicans take control of the House, regain control, uh, we, this is our last chance because Democrats and Nancy Pelosi, she will never put forward legislation uh, that will fund a border wall system. It's just not going to happen. So really now is the time to dig in uh, and to make the demand that the Republicans and, and eight Democrats step up and stand alongside them and get this done because it's not going to get done when Nancy Pelosi takes the gavel. Mm. 
And by the way, for anyone who's wondering, because I mentioned uh, Nancy Pelosi's home, she actually has a vineyard in Northern California that makes her the fourth richest Californian in Congress. And she and her husband regularly ask for special meetings with their zoning board and committee to expand their winery and to make more money with it and to complain about different local issues that are going on in their neighborhood. Um, they're, they're like the most high-maintenance neighbors you've ever seen, only these are not your average everyday neighborhood. I mean, there's a tennis court, there's a bocce ball court, there's a pool, there's a pool house, there's a separate house on the property, a racquetball court, and then the house itself uh, adjacent to another large structure that I'm assuming is the winery portion of the of the the whole deal. So this is a woman who is as far removed from swiping her own groceries at the grocery store in the self-check lane and pumping her own gas as she could possibly be. But she's advocating for Americans who live along the border not to have any access to safe and secure access to their own land through having a very porous southern border. And you spoke about the shutdown. And I, I, I want to you, you also mentioned 2020. So, Kaylee, when we talk about strategy and talk about the way that the Democrats completely overplayed their hand with Judge Kavanaugh, who is now Justice Kavanaugh on the Supreme Court, and the backlash from that, which gave the Republicans a very solid lead in the Senate, which will enable the president to appoint more conservative justices, um, do you see them overplaying their hand with immigration and some of these other really kitchen table issues that that would make it even more possible and likely for the president to return for a second term? Oh, absolutely. I think that they have already overplayed their hand and will continue to do so. You know, President Trump does not get enough credit uh, for being the great negotiator who took a step towards Democrats and said, hey, wasn't in the initial plan, but I will give DACA recipients a path to legalization if in exchange you give me border wall funding, an end to the diversity lottery, uh, and an end to chain migration. And this is a deal that 63% of Americans support in uh, the most recent Harvard-Harris poll that came out a few days ago. So they overplayed their hand by, by dismissing this compromise out of hand, one the American people want, and instead marginalizing the issue. And I think that's where they really go astray is when they marginalize a very important issue, like Nancy Pelosi saying, just mow the grass, it'll fix the border problem. Uh, Americans consistently rank immigration in the top three issues of importance to them. So when you marginalize that, I do think you overplay your hand. Uh, instead of coming to the table, negotiating, compromising, and getting comprehensive immigration reform done and securing our border. And this is an issue that's not going away. When we look at the numbers of uh, illegal crossings, and even with, let's say, you know, best case scenario, the president gets the military to complete the portions of, air, you know, the, the open, wide open areas that have no, no fencing, no wall. Those are quickly filled in and shored up by the president using the military. That still doesn't stop the 40 percent of, of, you know, people who are here illegally overstaying their visas. It doesn't stop chain migration and it doesn't stop the outsized number of Americans who are assaulted, you know, raped, kidnapped, you know, gun offenses, you name it. Um, that these crimes are happening to American citizens. So th this is something that is going to remain an issue into the 2020 election cycle, and I don't think the Democrats are on the right side of it. They're not, uh, and it certainly will remain a, a relevant issue um, when you consider the fact that 
it's not just the border structure, which 53% of voters support, uh, which I actually think it's higher than that, but that's, that's what the Harvard-Harris poll shows, so majority support. It's not just that. You're right to say it's dealing with individuals within our interior. Uh, it's, it's making sure that American lives are not forever changed because a, a criminal is released on the street. And it's worth just mentioning, you know, we have a compassionate immigration system in this country. We open our doors to millions and millions of immigrants who come here the legal way. We are a better country when we have uh, others who come here and want to assimilate and become hardworking Americans. We're better for it, uh, but we're not better for it when illegal immigrants run across the border, some of whom have very rich criminal histories, and an American citizen is injured or loses their life at the hand of that individual. It's an intolerable situation, and what the left consistently says is, oh, well, that only happens to a few dozen or a few hundred people, which isn't the case. It's actually far more. Uh, but even one American citizen who's, who loses their life at the hands of someone who shouldn't be here should be more than enough to want to fix the problem. You're so right. You're so right. And that is why we love having you on. You are one of our favorite guests as well. Kaylee McEnany, thank you for joining us and taking time out to cover this important story. And we look forward to talking to you again soon. Thanks, Stacey. You too. All right. Talk to you again soon. And that was Kaylee McEnany. Uh, my apologies for um, mixing up her up with her colleague, Cassie Smettle, who often comes on the show as well, both of them working for their Republican National Committee and doing a fantastic job of keeping us up to date and really uh, on the cutting edge of, of news cycles. And this was a huge story today, uh, the president sitting down with these two leaders from the Democrat side. I, w I have to say, I think it's extraordinarily unprofessional for Nancy Pelosi to behave as if the rest of us can't learn about how she lives. And again, it's not that her being fantastically wealthy and her husband, Paul, and she owning vineyards and living in, you know, this Tony area of the Napa Valley wine region, that any of that is a problem or that I'm in any way jealous or covetous of the, the situation. I am not. Uh, I, I am so, so just, that's not, that's not, that's not how I roll, but the reason that I bring it up and point it out is because of the hypocrisy of her having this open border stance instead of simply saying, you know, this is ideologically what I believe in, but it's not something I'd ever want to live with. And sometimes we catch Democrats saying things like that. We do. It, it happens sometimes. But for the most part, we're seeing them act as if these two things exist in separate universes. And for Nancy Pelosi, it really does. Her time in Washington, D.C. is spent in the halls of power, influencing the way we live. Uh, her time in California is spent on her palatial estate and helping her husband manage their vineyard and apply for uh, other opportunities to expand their business and other things that she's able to do. So, you know, uh, give you a little bit more detail here. Fourth richest Californian in Congress, she has a minimum net worth of $29.3 million, and um, her vineyard makes between 5000 or it's valued between $5 million and $25 million. So yeah, no illegal immigrants over there. We'll be back with more right after this. 
2018 was the busiest year ever for Eight Days of Hope. Steve Tiber. Over 6,000 volunteers descended to Southeast Houston over a three-week period during Eight Days of Hope 14, 15, and 16, and helped over 1,000 families rebuild their homes all in the name of Jesus. Also, Hurricane Florence hit North Carolina. We had volunteers, leaders, and equipment in New Bern, Fayetteville, and Wilmington. And then, of course, Hurricane Michael striking the Panhandle of Florida. We were in Panama City Beach for five weeks, loving and serving families who had nowhere to turn. 2019 could even be busier as we plan to go back to some of these same communities to be a glimpse of who Jesus is by using the gifts he's given us to bless those who are looking for a glimmer of hope. Go to 8daysofhope.com, submit your email address, and we'll notify you of our plans in 2019. American Family Association is pleased to partner with 8 Days of Hope, and you can too. Learn more at 8daysofhope.com. Be the hands and feet of Jesus. American Family Radio. Samaritan's Purse. And your family. Together, we can bring good news and great joy to needy children. Simply pack an Operation Christmas Child shoebox with toys, school supplies, and hygiene items. Then drop off your shoebox gift during National Collection Week. Visit AFR.net, click the Operation Christmas Child banner, and then get packing. As we all know, Jesus is the reason for the season. But sadly, there are some folks who don't. Join the American Family Association and spread the word by ordering our Keep Christ in Christmas wristbands. You can purchase them in sets of 10, and if you buy more, you'll save more. Order by December 14th to receive them just in time for Christmas. You can share them with anyone. We just want to remind people that you can't have Christmas without Christ. Order yours now at afastore.net. Foreign Dispatch. As far as the situation here goes in Tijuana, the migrants have been pushed back to a camp about 11 miles from the border in an effort by the Mexican government to reduce the chance of any sparks of violence. The numbers, too, are down. About 2,500 in that government camp, down from a high of anywhere from six to 8,000. Tensions along the border continue to rise as migrants face unsanitary health conditions at shelters. And now making headlines, a Honduran woman who is believed to be the first member of the caravan to have a child in the U.S. after scaling a border wall with her family. That child, now a U.S. citizen due to birthright citizenship. President Trump has vowed to end birthright citizenship with an executive order, though some believe the move could require a constitutional amendment. In Tijuana, Steve Harrigan, Fox News. You can download episodes of Stacy of the Right from the podcast page on AFR.net or UrbanFamilyTalk.com. Now, back to the show on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. The Republicans, at least for another three weeks, control the House, the Senate, and the White House. And if they want to go ahead and pass the budget without us, they can do it. But if they need our help, we don't believe in their wall. We're with the majority of the American people who think it's a ridiculous waste of money. And the president is being very irresponsible if he's threatening to shut down the U.S. government at a time when the markets are already roiling and there's all of this uncertainty out there over the wall, which we don't support. So our position is, uh, sure, let's invest in border security. Let's do immigration reform. But let's get to the business of the American people and stop the nonsense about the wall. 
or for zero dollars in border wall funding. Now, we obviously support money for security measures at the border, as we always have. And so we're not averse to that. But we don't want to go down the road of putting, you know, 50 million dollars in there. And then they say, oh, we've already started the wall. It's true that the president promised that he'd build the wall. He also promised that Mexico would pay for it. So if he wants to keep one promise, he should keep the other two. Let the Mexican government pay for it. The president I, has said that it, it would be it's a good time where, you know, what we need is a good government shutdown. That's just tremendously irresponsible with all of the instability taking place around the world, with our markets uh, completely in an uproar right now. And so we're urging the president and anybody who's around him to encourage him to come to the table, pass something that we can all agree to. Right. So in other words, something we can all agree to means something that. Democrats can use to fundraise off of because it's a victory for them as opposed to giving the president what he's asked for. And, you know, Drudge has one of their headlines today is that the president's approval rating is at 49%. So clearly something about this 98% negative media coverage isn't hitting the mark. Is it? No, that's not. (laughs) It's not hitting the mark. And I'm, I'm, I'm laughing a little bit because you would think with 98% negative coverage that you would not be able to find 49% of Americans who would say, hmm, I think he's doing a, a fine job. Um, I think he's doing a good job. Or, you, know, you wouldn't be able to find that number of Americans to be able to say that. You just wouldn't. Call lines are open at 866-963-2037, 866-963-2037, talking about anything we've discussed today on the program. Um, We also have the First Step Act, which is we've had guests on the program to discuss it. And Leader McConnell said today on the Senate floor, here's a quote, at the request of the president following improvements to the legislation that has been secured by several members, the Senate will take up the recently revised criminal justice bill. Now, if this bill is passed, this will be a huge win for President Trump and the administration because criminal justice reform is something that you would think President Obama would have undertaken. You would think that President Obama would have said, I'm going I'm to do this because it helps with constituents in the black community, not all of whom are impacted by it, but obviously it's, it's of concern. But instead, he didn't, he didn't really have anything he, to say about this. It, w- it was not on his radar. Now, I, I, you know, again, presidents are going to do whatever they have on their agenda, but it doesn't look good for President Obama that right along the heels of President Trump discussing the First Step Act and kind of making the rounds with it and going all over the place with it. During that time, we've seen President Obama coming out and just, he's been making a spectacle of himself, you know, trying to take credit for the economy, coming out and talking about and everything but the kitchen sink. And it's fine for, you know, obviously he's, he has rights just like any other person. He can come out, he can, he can talk, he can whatever, but he's not, the way he's doing it doesn't look as if he's someone who's dealing from a position of strength. It's like he's playing cleanup. Oh, he's talking about criminal justice reform. Well, I'm the one who was responsible for the for the economy. I'm, you know, I'm 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 the one who's done this, this, and that. It's it's bad form. It's it's terrible to listen to, and it's it's tiresome. 
Now, I want to turn back to uh, some of the testimony by James Comey. And remember, they're doing closed-door testimony with the House Judiciary Committee and House Oversight and Government Reform Committee. And during this testimony, former FBI Director James Comey said he couldn't interpret what FBI Special Agent Peter Strzok meant when he sent FBI Special Counsel Lisa Page a text that said Hillary should win $100 million to one. And so Comey said, well, I'm not in a position to interpret their text exchanges, so I can't answer that. Now, how are you the chief law enforcement, or he was, you know, well, not chief law enforcement, that's the attorney general. He was the head of the FBI, Federal Bureau of Investigations. The name itself infers that you can read other people's communications and analyze them and figure out what they meant. The name points to you being able to do that. He says, I'm not in a position to interpret their text exchanges. So on July 5th, 2016, obviously going back over that, we don't need to. He announced the FBI wouldn't recommend criminal prosecution of Hillary. But this text that he's saying he can't interpret is from March 3rd of 2016. Comey said, and I'm quoting him, people can disagree People can agree, but they will at least understand that the decision was made and the recommendation recommendation was made the way you would want it to be by people who didn't give a hoot about politics, who cared about what are the facts, what is the law, and how similar people, all people have been treated in the past. Now, I know the guy who was pardoned by President Trump, who spent about a year in jail, he would probably have something different to say. He would probably feel differently about what Comey just alleged. We've got the OIG report, and you've got the text messages commenting on Trump and Clinton. In the OIG's report, it talks about, in this section, we highlight examples of text messages of a political nature commenting on Trump and Clinton. We include explanations provided by Page and Strzok about their use of FBI-issued phones in general and their use of FBI-issued phones for political discussions. The sender of each text message is identified after the date. This is back in 2015 in August. Bernie Sanders is an idiot like Trump. Figure they cancel each other out. Strzok texted that. February 12th, 2016, Page says, I'm no prude, but I'm really appalled by this. So you don't have to go looking into, in case you hadn't heard, Trump called, you know, someone a name. The man has no dignity dignity or class. He simply cannot be president. With a slur for Ted Cruz, Donald Trump further splits voters, and she puts a link in there to this New York Times piece. Then February 12th of 2016, same day, oh, he's abysmal. I keep hoping the charade will end and people will just dump him. The problem then is Rubio will likely lose to Cruz. The Republican Party is in utter shambles. When was the last competitive ticket they offered? March 3rd, 2016, takes the Lord's name in vain. Trump is a loathsome human. March 3rd, Strzok texts back, oh my, OMG, he just types out the letters, OMG, Trump's an idiot. March 3rd, 2016, Page, he's awful. Same day, Strzok takes the Lord's name in vain. Hillary should win 100 million to zero. And it just goes on and on like that. Over and over again, these people have demonstrated their bias. Now, Everyone has bias. It's not about them having the bias. It's that they were so careful to demonstrate 
and so open with it. So, so nonchalant. So the questioning was done by Mr. Gowdy and he, he asked in March of 2016, Strzok wrote, Hillary should win 100 million to zero. Do you recall whether the Democrat primary was still ongoing in March of 2016? Comey says, I'm not in a position to answer. You gave a long preamble to that about things I don't know for my own personal knowledge. I'm going to exclude that part of your preamble and just answer the question at the end. Do I know whether the Democratic primary was ongoing in March of 2016? I think so, yes. Gaddy says, well, let me back up in fairness to you and ask whether or not you've had a chance to read any of the text messages between Peter Strzok and Lisa Page. Comey says, I've seen some of them in the open source and the media, obviously, since I was fired as director. Gaddy says, did you read any of them in preparation for today? Comey said, no, I did not. So then Cody, Co- Gowdy goes on to ask if it's correct that the Democratic, if you are correct that the Democratic primary was still open in March of 2016. And I read that as special agent Peter Strzok commenting that she should win the primary 100 million to zero. And I guess an alternative reading of that would that would be that he already had her as the nominee and she should win the general 100 million to zero. Is there another reading other than those two winning the primary or winning the general? And Comey says, I'm not in a position to interpret their text messages, so I can't answer that. Gowdy says, in the course of human history, has anyone won an election 100 million to zero to your knowledge? (laughs) And Comey says, in the United States, because he's just, you know, he's going full on, you know, wig brain. And Gowdy says, anywhere. Comey says, I don't mean to be facetious. I can't speak to Stalin's re-election or Mao Zedong re-election campaigns. In Gowdy says, 100 million to zero is a lot. And Comey says, sure, I'm not trying to be facetious, but I remember as a student, the vote in Soviet Russia was 99% to... Gowdy says, we're going to get to Russia in a little bit. We'll get to Russia in a little bit. So here's, here's, here's what we're hearing here. It's as if... Comey thinks he's on some reality show where the object is for him to obfuscate the conversation. And instead of him doing that, uh, you know, well, he's not even able to do that well. He's not even able to pull it off so that it looks as if he's being genuine when in reality he's just there to obstruct them from getting to their final conclusion about the investigation that they're running. It's not that he's worried about being prosecuted. I seriously doubt if FBI director or former FBI director Comey is worried about being prosecuted. I don't think he's even concerned that this might turn out to be something that might damage him in any way. He's not concerned about any of it. The only thing he's worried about is making sure that he can damage the president further. The references to Mao Zedong and Stalin the references to Russia, he's trying to create a mental connection for people. They've already heard it so many times in the media. Why not hear it from FBI Director James Comey? He's still on Team Clinton. Even now that he has nothing really further to gain, he's still Team Clinton 110%. So we have time for just a couple of calls if you'd like. 866-963-2037, 866-963-2037. When we mentioned the uh, the immigrants coming to the southern border and claiming asylum, you have to have credible fear. 
And so, of course, the CBP.gov actually has reporting on this, which is super important because who better to ask than the actual government officials tasked with putting this information into computers and keeping it collated and, and, and up to date. So the CBP Southwest border and claims of credible, credible fear, total apprehensions and inadmissibles. These numbers are for fiscal year 2017 to fiscal year 2018. They have total apprehensions and inadmissibles fiscal year 2017, 415,517. And for fiscal year 18, they have 521,090 individuals, an increase of over 100,000. Total claims of credible fear, apprehensions, and inadmissibles, 55,584 for fiscal year 17, 92,959 for fiscal year 2018. So these numbers are jumping up astronomically. Now, you're probably wondering, what do they ask them? Well, here are the questions. Under expedited removal provisions, an agent or officer takes the applicant's sworn statement, including asking four questions regarding any fear the alien may have of returning to his or her home country and the potential of being harmed. During expedited removal proceedings, detainees are questioned regarding any fear they may have of returning to their country of origin to ensure that each detainee is afforded the ability to articulate claims of fear. Those questions are, why did you leave your home country or country of last residence? Do you have any fear or concern about being returned to your home country or being removed from the United States? Now, obviously, someone who really wants to live here is going to say yes to that question. Are they not? Would you be harmed if you returned to your home country or country of last residence? Do you have any questions or is there anything else you'd like to add? So the Office of Field Operations also maintains numbers and they're just as, as crazy high, just, just crazy, crazy high. And they have a, a list where you can go, Southwest Border Claims of Credible Fear, Inadmissibles by Field Office, where you can check out which offices received which numbers of claims, like which offices received the most, which received the least, et cetera, et cetera. So the data is there for us to look at in between getting ready for Christmas and trying to get together with family and friends and all the other stuff we have to do, working, eating, sleeping, taking care of kids and family. We can look up this information as well. I know people aren't excited about that, but we have to be informed. All right. Good evening from the heartland. God bless you. Be back with you tomorrow. <laughs>